Blog Talk Radio. Hi there, I'm Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, and this show is a celebration of baby boomers who are embracing life as we grow older. Yet we can't deny that we do face a number of challenges when it comes to life in our golden years, but these problems can be greatly diminished if we maintain our zest for life, our curiosity, and most of all, our sense of humor. And that's where today's guest is a true expert, veteran weatherman for the NBA. TV channel in Los Angeles, Fritz Coleman has returned to his roots as a stand-up comedian and has recently recorded an irreverent and, believe me, highly hilarious look at aging. His show is called Unassisted Living and is now playing on the Tubi channel. And believe me, I promise he'll have you laughing out loud because his thoughts on growing older are somewhat, let's say, unique and very, very funny. And I'm thrilled to have him join us today. So welcome, Fritz. I'm so happy to be invited back. I need to hire you as my publicist immediately. Well, it would be, believe me, my great pleasure because I <laughs> loved unassisted living, and I'm still thinking back on some of the things you say, like when I'm driving in the car and I'll start laughing out loud. So well, let's so begin by you. T- well, and tell us a little bit about why you decided to revive your comedic career and, of course, come up with this unique take on growing older. Well, uh, I uh, retired two years ago from NBC. I never stopped my stand-up career as I was doing the weather because it's L.A. and I could do two or three shows uh, a week if I wanted to. But now that I'm retired, I have more time to concentrate on writing and sort of uh, digging deep into my thoughts. And truthfully, um, they always say, write what you know. And uh, I, the, the irony of this whole thing is I've never been happier in my life than I am right now. I'm 75 years old on uh, Saturday, and, but I've never been happier. I mean, the, the, I don't get as upset as I used to be. And, I, it, you know, aging is a common experience, and I just love putting voice to some things that people might not otherwise do. And this is a, 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 the, the current in a long stream of what I call single-topic monologues. I developed a different take in stand-up where I would do an hour-and-a-half show about one area. My first one was called It's Me, Dad. It was about divorce and being a single father. Then I did one about uh, uh, wedding receptions called The Reception. And then I did one about the news on Channel uh, 4 called uh, Tonight at 11. And then I did one called Defying Gravity, which was my first one on aging. And this is my uh, current one. Just because aging is a common experience, and um, I I just had so much fun putting my reflections of it down. And truthfully, uh, Mary Eileen, you you understand that that people uh, in, in the boomer group and above, say 55 and above, are way underserved in streaming content, particularly in stand-up. If you want to watch stand-up comedy on streaming services, now it has a lot of bad language, which I don't use, and, and, it, and it goes in places. But, you know, people in my age group uh, are not, you know, they, they don't want to sit there with their family and watch it. So this is a clean show. I mean, there are points of irreverence in it, but it's just adult. It's not in any way prurient. And I just thought it was a, a really underserved demographic in, in the stand-up arena. So I'm having, having fun having people react to it. 
Well, and I've got to say, yes, it, it was a true delight from start to finish. Nothing was you know, one of those things that makes you kind of squirm or whatever. And you're mm-hmm. right, I hadn't realized that before, but I don't watch the stand-up comedy because I, you know, I don't relate to it, except for your show, and I relate it a lot. I'm so happy to hear that. Yep, that, that, then I've made my point, and so I hope so. Well, and I do want to mention that, as you said, you you didn't give up your comedic career uh, to only produce the weather for NBC TV, which was rather a plum job, I would say. Congratulations oh my on that. And, but and you also won a number of. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, I'm going to just. I'm going to be your uh, sure. your uh, agent again because you won a ton <laughs> okay. of Emmy Awards. You made eight appearances on The Tonight Show, and you worked alongside some pretty stellar comedians, Bob Hope, Debbie Reynolds, uh, George Benison, and Ray Charles. So would you say mm-hmm. comedy was kind of your first love all along? It was. And I, I, I had but, – but, but the truth is uh, I, I was hired uh, at Channel 4 at a time when – it was more about personality than it was about meteorology. Uh, you know, the weather in L.A. is the same from April to November. It's morning clouds and fog, hazy afternoon sun, with a high from 68 to 72. But I still had to fill two and a half minutes on the air. But they wanted more. They wanted. Uh, they, they just wanted personality. I, I always considered myself in, in, in the bulk of the newscast as the palate cleanser between the tragedy and the sports. <laughs> and, uh, and and so, I, I, but now, with as I mentioned, I talk about in the, in the show. Now, with climate change, weather's not a joke anymore. People are really nervous about where we're going with this, and so they ask for a little more professionalism, scientific professionalism. And so, honestly, I wouldn't get hired to do the job now. They wouldn't care about me. I was a comic at the comedy store. They 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 wouldn't hire me now. They they insist on having meteorologists and people. Are schooled in in the science of atmospheric sciences, you know. Well, I love. I'm sure your job as a palate cleanser was greatly appreciated, and then you also <laughs> in the show referred to it as that you were a little bit like a Vanna White. I always wondered though, because you you're you've got a green screen behind you, you don't really see the towns you're pointing to, so that had to take a certain talent. No, no, oh. that, that's that, that's probably the hardest technical thing you have to learn how to do is working the green screen because, <clears throat> as you say. You, you have a monitor way to the side, and I'm visually impaired, as you can tell by my glasses, so I could barely see what I was looking at. You have to learn to gesture broadly. That's the whole key to everything. Just, you know, don't point to, you know, if you're talking about Ohio, just sort of gesture in that general direction and people know what you're talking about. And so, uh, but again, that doesn't work now because, you know, the, the, the weather is so destructive and you've got to point the frontal systems yeah. and everything. It's I just I, I think I got out of the business at precisely the right moment before I was, my lack of uh, knowledge was discovered. <laughs> well, right place, right time, and we are all so lucky because this show is great. Before we get back to Unassisted Living, though, I also want to mention that <clears throat> you have a podcast of your own with uh, Louise Palenker, who was a longtime radio producer and documentarian. So tell us a little bit mm-hmm. about that. It's a great uh, podcast. We're having so much fun. Uh, Louise uh, started a company called Premier Radio Networks, which became wildly successful, and they were sold to Clear Channel, and then Clear Channel sold them to iHeartRadio. So now she's at a point in her life when she can do what she wants, and she's been in the podcasting business since the beginning of podcasting. This is her fifth podcast, and I was. Una- she's been a friend of mine for 35 years, 
and we weren't able to do any projects uh, connected with one another because I was under contract to NBC and I wasn't allowed to do outside things. And then when I retired, she said, well, let's just have a podcast that sort of is a continuation of our friendship. We we enjoy movies and books wow. and documentaries and current events. And we said, well, just we'll make it like a continuation of the conversation we have every day. And I said, that's fantastic. And I'm still learning about podcasting, but I just love the fact that you get to talk to different people and learn different things about things you knew nothing about. I love the uh, I love to be inquisitive about that. It's fun. Well, it is fun. Now, be sure and tell our listeners where they can go to find uh, out more or listen to your Media Path podcast. Okay, it's called it's called Media Path podcast. You can find every episode, histories of Louise and myself, at mediapathpodcast all one word dot com mediapathpodcast.com and we're uh, at mediapath on Instagram and uh, Facebook uh, we have she writes a great uh, newsletter about each of the guests we have and it's fun we do everything from politics to uh, movies to child stars of the 60s and 70s to uh, people who have written interesting books and I, I just love it and, and you, you do the same thing very well which is Regardless of what the topic is, you're, you're inquisitive about it, you're interested, and it's, you, you take the place of the listener in wondering what the answers to these questions are. To me, that's the fun. Well, it certainly is fun. And now let's return to Unassisted Living. Uh, and I wanted to mention, too, I believe you chose a venue uh, where it was filmed because of a certain TV show. So tell us a little bit about that history. Yes. Uh, I uh, one of my home bases here in Southern California is the El Portal Theater in uh, North Hollywood. It's a very iconic theater. It started years ago as a vaudeville house, and Red Buttons and Bob Hope and all the early vaudevillians played there uh, at, when it was a vaudeville stage. And then in the late 40s and early 50s, it became a, a one of the grand movie houses with the purple curtains and the huge chandeliers and everything. And Debbie Reynolds was born and raised in Burbank, which is adjacent to this uh, North Hollywood. And when she was a child at seven, eight, nine years old, she would ride her bike to the El Portal Theater and watch movies. And that's how she was exposed wow. to the movies. And when she became a live performer and uh, gained this great global uh, fame, she would come back to the El Portal and do her live shows. So the stage in the El Portal Theater, it's a 360-seat house, a medium-sized house, is named the Debbie Reynolds Theater. And then the, there's a smaller house, what we call an equity waiver house, it's 99 seats and below, called the Marilyn Monroe Forum. And that's where I take this show. And the reason I got an idea to take my show in there is because the TV show Hacks, which is really wonderful. I'm not a big fan of shows about stand-up comedy, but that one is so dead on true. It's wonderful. And they taped an episode in this theater, and I saw, I saw it, and I thought, I want to do a show in there. It's not, not a big audience. It's a cabaret setting where you have people in the front row at tables, and it's a very comfortable, intimate setting. You don't have to yell at anybody. and It's not big, thunderous roars of the crowd. It's very intimate. And I thought, I'm taping a show there. So that's where I did it, and it turned out quite beautifully, I think. We're very proud of it, and uh, people are responding well to it. 
Well, I would think so, and believe me, I am responding very well because, like I said, I'm still laughing. Uh, but also, your take on aging is, let's again, I'm going to use the word unique, and I want to dig inside your mind for a little please, bit. Please, yes. please. Yes. How do you come up with these things? Do, do they just appear, or do you kind of focus on a certain topic? Because like you say, you have like a, a string of scenarios about life that you pull into this comic routine. So how does that work for you? Well, it's it's different for every uh, writer, and, and particularly somebody that writes stand-up comedy. Some guys walk around with a notebook and, and make little notes. Uh, I'm not that disciplined about that. What I am disciplined about is everyday writing for an hour or two hours where I sit down with a notebook. I write it out on a legal pad first with pencil, and I just sort of free associate. And I write... Uh, items down and then try to connect them and come up with scenarios that sort of describe reality, but in an exaggerated way, which is what comedy does. You use metaphor and exaggeration and twist to, uh, to make a joke about something. And uh, uh, I, I, I'll tell you, 50% of the joy of the experience of stand-up for me is the writing. I love to sit and craft a piece of material then you do it on stage, and they very seldom 100% work all the time. But as soon as you do them on stage, as soon as you vocalize them and say them out loud, you know that something needs to be changed. So you get back home and change it and try again. So the creative process is very fulfilling for me. And then uh, doing it on stage and having people react to it is, uh, is the icing on the cake. Well, and like I mentioned, uh, again, there's a ton of different themes in unassisted living. You go over, you mm -hmm. know, fatherhood, uh, your your career, which I loved, <laughs> your your high school career, which I related to, and a few other things. Good. But uh, I mean, how you pull these all together and make them surprising and funny, uh, and so you actually sit down every day and write for about an hour. I try to, if my if my time permits. I, even if I don't know where I'm going, I like to sit in the same space in my house, face the same direction, have my cat on my lap, and just let my mind go and make notes. And some days you, ha you are more productive or more creative than others. And then some days you go back and uh, connect the dots on a piece you worked on a couple of days before. And I just love the, I love the discipline of that, and I love, I love the creativity. Well, and I also say one of the topics, I mean, I'm related to a lot of them, but well, I've been lucky enough to to go out to dinner at some of these very fancy restaurants, and oh, you have a certain take on those, too. Yes. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I think part of it is because of my age, and part of it is because of my conservative sort of humble beginnings in Pennsylvania. I'm not a big fan of these, and, and California has one every other building on a street in West Hollywood can be a fancy restaurant. And I, uh, I'm not a fan of those because, especially in California, it, it, the smaller the portions, the more they charge you. And it's, it's insane. And some of these places are just so pretentious. Uh, I, I mentioned one in the show where, I, I, this is true, I, went, I, I met my friends at a, at, a, uh, at a restaurant in West Hollywood. West Hollywood is you know, one of these uh, show business enclaves, and they have all these fancy restaurants. And the decor in this restaurant was all black and all chrome. And it was so <laughs> – I don't I, – I, I would love to be in a pitch meeting where somebody thought that was a good idea. 
And and I say I, I felt like I was in a dentist waiting room, and the dentist was Satan. And it was, and then I just go into the menu and those kinds of things. And people who are a little more pedestrian in their taste, like me, you know, that like Golden Corral and you know the, those kinds of places, IHOP, they they appreciate what I'm saying. <laughs> well, and the other thing, you go to IHOP, or I have not had the pleasure of Golden Corral yet, but I don't know if it's up where I live. But That's anyway, you walk screen. out, you've eaten a meal. You go to these fancy I, restaurants, there's four peas that are perfectly placed on your plate. <laughs> <laughs> And no, you're that's, starving. That's exactly right. And you dropped $150 exactly right. or something. Just crazy. That's exactly right. That's well, right. and I that's have exactly one. Right. You could you can add this to your next show, but I went to one of those, and the guy brought out. I had a salad, and you know the dressing on the side. Of it, he brought out a paintbrush and painted each lettuce leaf with the salad dressing. Now that was a bit much for me. That is very funny. That is very funny. I wish I thought of that. That's well, feel good. free to use it, <laughs> Chris. Oh, man, well, I, that is great. Well, and in addition to your highly hilarious look uh, at life uh, in our golden years, um, I have to ask you this, too. Your memory isn't phenomenal. I mean, I think the show was 45 minutes. You didn't miss a beat. How do you do that? It's 55 minutes. I mean, the longest shows I've done have been about an hour and a half. But they've, wow. but they've done. They've had a little ten-minute intermission because people of our age have to use the restroom more frequently. So I give them yes. an intermission. But uh, but uh, truthfully, when you write the material and you try it and you have to rework it, by the time you're finished crafting this, sculpting this hour of material, you have it pretty well memorized, and you you uh, you build the transitions, the flow from one topic to the next, and it just sort of it happens organically. It's not like I mean, it's easier for me because I wrote the material. If somebody just handed me 100 pages of monologue and I had to memorize it, it would take me a lot longer to do it because I'm not in that person's head. But since I wrote it, it's easier. Well, and the other thing about, I guess, you know, being such a comedic genius, I will say, as you are, uh, you you knew how to pause, you knew how to give the right facial, you know, so that's part of it too. Well, uh, you know, you, you learn your little uh, – learning stand-up comedy is learning to have your own voice and learning to have your own persona on stage, and those things just evolve over time. And some things work for you and some don't, and you just try them. And uh, the, the, the really interesting thing about writing stand-up is you're never 100% sure where the laugh is going to come. Sometimes you're pleasantly surprised that you've got to laugh earlier in a, in a topic – uh, and sometimes you don't get any laugh and you rework that, but you'll, you'll get a laugh because people perceive it differently than you even wrote it. And then you put pauses and gestures and facial expressions to sort of accentuate that. It's an interesting science. <laughs> and I, I like the way you said science because I'm sure there is. I mean, it's an art and a science, and I can't think of anything yeah. more intimidating than being a stand-up comic. So, you know, good for you for that alone. Well, it's an odd psychology to find yourself uh, uh, desiring to be in a room full of strangers and seek their approval at night in dark lights. It's a really odd, <laughs> odd neurosis. But, uh, but uh, you know, uh, I, I've always enjoyed it. I've enjoyed the live performance, uh, and it's a lot of fun for me. And now that I'm retired, I'm just, it's, I can have a lot of fun at it. It's great. 
Well, and as a as a viewer on the on the Tubi channel, we have to say that again, uh, unassisted living is a like I said, a true delight from start to finish. So, do you have any thoughts before we have to leave, or any hope that you no, you want I, your I audience to, to take thank, away? I just want to thank you so much. You're, you're so supportive and and uh, easy to talk to, and very generous with your comments. And I really appreciate my opportunity to. Uh, to you know, sort of get the word out about this to your vast audience. Thank you so much. Well, Fritz, it was truly my pleasure, and uh, I, I'm delighted to have you on. Please come back on anytime. I want to see the next so. show coming up quickly. <laughs> oh, by the way, do you really, have anything? Uh, good at what you do. Well, thank and you. And so before we go, uh, do you have anything in the works in the future? Uh, no, I'm just uh, I'm already writing the next one. In the event that this, you know, by some stroke of fate becomes successful, uh, they'll want another one right away. So I'm working on it already and getting it out in the theaters and stuff and trying stuff out. And I'm on my way. We'll see what happens. I love that. Well, I can't wait to. for the next one. you got to promise to come back Thank on. You, dear. Okay. Thank you so and- much. Well, thank you okay, for sharing your day. wonderful humor, your take on aging, and, of course, your delightful energy with us. And for all of you listeners out there, please check out Unassisted Living on Tubi. The channel is free and the show is amazing. And I guarantee you'll have as many laughs as I did and become just as big a fan of Fritz as I am. So until next you time, this day. is Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio. Santa, catch you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>